Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday. We are towards the weekend. A lot to talk about before we get to Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to be getting into the first trailer for DC Suicide Squad. I also was able to watch a really interesting HBO sports documentary last night that I want to talk about and a whole lot more. But of course, as I do every single Friday for the past few months, it is time for another non-spoiler review for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It is the second episode in the six-part miniseries in which we get Sam Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes. And again, last week I talked about episode one and I really enjoyed it. And before I go any further, again, this is a non-spoiler review. Again, I always say this every week, but I'll keep on reiterating it. Monday I will do a spoiler review so everyone can take the weekend, watch it, discuss it, and don't have anything spoiled for them so they can take the next few days and watch it. And again, if you haven't watched it by Monday, you can go back and watch this review that I do right now. So again, this is non-spoiler review. No details will be revealed here to give anything away on the second episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And like I was saying, the first episode I thought was doing what a lot of traditional television does in this golden age of television where we have shows like Game of Thrones and Watchmen, in which the first episode really is a setup episode, as, as usually a lot of television shows do have, where you set up the characters, you set up the story that you're going to tell, and then you kind of leave it off of what the other episodes are going to do and lay the foundation for what you want the story to tell in this season or for this show if we don't get any other seasons this entire series and episode two to build on those foundations laid in episode one and it's a great building block to what we're going to get in the rest of this show and i think it's far and away better than episode one in which we do finally get bucky and sam together and the chemistry that you were able to see in the trailers and in other additions into the from the mcu and the Captain America films is in full on display in this one episode alone and you get that buddy cop kind of comedy action that you get in films like The Rush Hour with Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan or Lethal Weapon with Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. So there there was just a, a lot of great camaraderie between the two of them a lot of animosity but at the same time they still have to work together and get along and i think the relationship the chemistry between sebastian stan and anthony mackie is well there and i think it was great for kevin feige and malcolm spellman and the director of this show to really kind of utilize that and explore it even further so to, i'm excited to see it go more and more into that as we move forth in this episode we also get more of the cliffhanger that we got towards Towards the end of episode one with the introduction of a brand new Captain America in John Walker. And we get to really kind of see this character a lot more, get introduced to him and his mentality and what he's going through. And Wyatt Russell, who I think is a very underrated actor, he's done a few things here and there. He's, I think his biggest role to date has been in 22 Jump Street as a supporting actor, but he's been in a few things here and there. And I think this episode at least introduces him and get, gives him the time 
time to shine as this new character, as this new Captain America. So I definitely think there was a great introduction and a great layering to John Walker. And again, the, the, the greatness and the great possibilities of these Disney Plus television shows of streaming is the fact that you get to explore more of these characters. And we're two two episodes in and these really truly are about like an hour 50 minutes each in length and by this point we will be two hours into a movie and normally with a lot of these big blockbuster comic book epics they usually run at two hours and 30 minutes at most so at this point we would only have 30 minutes left in an entire story and we're really only in the kind of the in, in, in the climbing part of, of not even getting to the climax yet of this story we're still setting things up getting to explore these characters introduce the rest of the story the villains so there's a lot of exciting stuff left to be had in this show and we're just getting started and the action also continues to really stand out in this episode as well it's a great continuation also getting to see bucky barnes get into the action with sam as well was really kind of cool to see and, and again delivers on a lot of those set pieces that we saw in the trailer so again what what carrie Strogelin is doing in this show in terms of the action the aerial shots was really 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 cool and again the story is another big aspect that I really am enjoying as again it's it's still setting up things to come but there's a lot of really cool elements that really entertain you in this episode but I think a lot of it again talking about the character developments and the character storylines of Sam and and Bucky were really 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 interesting and especially Sam in this episode and I think one thing that Marvel has really done so far with WandaVision and continuing to translate with Falcon and Winter Soldier is tackle different elements in characters, in genres, in in different character traits, and in, in social issues, and social topics throughout this country and throughout the society, really, that haven't really been tackled before in really comic book films, but also specifically in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so far with WandaVision talking about Wanda's grief and this, this, this show tackling the issues of race in America and stereotypes and, and all this different kind of stuff and this episode continues to highlight that and I think it did a great job uh, of doing that and I think you it gives, gets you to question things a little bit more about America and society in general for what things are going on so props to the writer the showrunner Malcolm Spellman for doing that and for Kevin Feige to allow this in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to allow these issues and and these artists to use these platforms to talk about things like that so I think this is heading towards a great direction and the the episode introduces a few new characters as well that I'll be I'll talk about on Monday in terms of spoilers that I don't want to give away and it leaves off on a on a little bit of a cliffhanger in a way of, of I think again getting you excited for what's to come in the MCU and to get you excited to seeing what this story has in general and I think it'll get you on your seat get you excited to see where the rest of the story is going from here so overall I think this is a great episode a great kind of again building block and transition from the setup that we got from the premiere episode. So I'm really liking this, really love what I saw. And I think for everyone that wanted to see the camaraderie between Sam and Bucky, more action, more of kind of that MC relatedness, but also seeing something different in the story and the characters and the themes that we're seeing in this show that we haven't seen in the MC before, I think is really something special. And again, I think it just showcases why having these shows, exploring these characters on this format is the best way to do it instead of doing it on uh, the big screen 
in a two, two and a half hour format where you would have so much time and have to juggle so many different things and cram it into two hours and 30 minutes, two hours and 20, two hours and 40, whereas right now you have six hours, six episodes to do that. And so I'm really excited to see where this goes from here. I really enjoy it, highly recommend it. If you guys have seen The Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode two, what did you think about it? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Let me know what you think down below. Again, non-spoilers, no big details in this episode and leave your thoughts below. And now to transition over from the MCU over to the DCEU, which really for the last week, 10 days really has been just on an absolute roll when it comes to just unveiling great projects, new things that are on the horizon. And today was the announcement and the unveiling of the first trailer for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And after Zack Snyder's Justice League has come out and really, really, I think, has taken the the world and and the, the communities by storm. And you have a lot of great casting news that came out this week from Helen Mirren joining Shazam 2 to Ron Livingston joining The Flash and then Pierce Brosnan joining Black Adam. This is kind of the, the cherry on top for a great run that DC is having right now. And there's been a lot of anticipation riding on this film. A lot of people have been looking forward to what James Gunn has brought to DC after coming over from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and having great success with the Guardians of the Galaxy. What is he going to do bringing his expertise from those big blockbusters to this franchise? The Suicide Squad seems tailor-made for somebody like James Gunn to kind of take over. When you saw 2016, the Suicide Squad, it definitely seemed like Warner Brothers, the studio, wanted to infuse that film with a lot of James Gunn mannerisms. You have villains playing anti-heroes in a lot of ways. So to see kind of the inspiration that you took for that movie and to bring the guy that you wanted to have that inspiration from to this film is definitely exciting to, to see. And he wrote this film. It seems like it was he put everything he wanted into this movie. And from DC fandom to when he talked about how he had his pick of the letter in terms of projects, in terms of studios, after Marvel and Disney fired him for what happened with the tweets long ago with some things that he said before. Before coming back on to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3, a lot of studios were clamoring for him. He he had his pick of the scripts that he wanted to do, and he went to Warner Brothers, and he went to DC, and he wanted to do the Suicide Squad. So this isn't something where the studio wanted him to do it, and he was reluctant to come on. It seems like he had a blank check to do the film that he wanted to do. You saw that in the DC fandom trailer where it was more of a featurette behind the scenes of what they're doing. We, we've seen a few clips here and there, but today we get the full, true, first look look at the film itself and I gotta say I was really impressed by what I saw with this film it really does look like James Gunn really truly did have carpe blanche to do whatever he wanted to do this seems like and based on the fact that it's a red band trailer it is going to be full on rated R so James Gunn really had the chains let go from him he was able to do everything he wanted to do in this film from the the, the language to, to the violence it seems like it's all there for him to do, and he has a great ensemble to be a part of this ride with, from Margot Robbie returning as Harley Quinn, from Id 
Idris Elba taking on the the character of Bloodsport. You have John Cena coming in as Peacemaker. Joel Kinnam coming back for Rick Flagg. You also have Jai Courtney coming back as Captain Boomerang. You have Michael Rooker coming coming back to a James Gunn film after being a mainstay in a lot of his projects. Alice Braga is in this film. SNL, Pete Davidson is in it. Nathan Fillion, Sean Gunn. Sylvester Stallone is in it playing King Shark, which was confirmed today. And you have Viola Davis coming back to play Amanda Waller in this film. And one of the things that I think a lot of people were wondering is, is this going to be a full-on reboot, remake of The Suicide Squad, even though you have some of the characters like Harley Quinn, Captain Boomerang, Amanda Amanda Waller coming back from the 2016 film. And a lot of people have been wondering if it's that or if, it, if it's a full-on sequel or a mixture. And I would say it's more of a spiritual, spirited sequel from the 2016 film because there are a few threads that are taken and a lot of that is really from the fact that it seems like the, the, the characters from that first film that come back have been working as a Suicide Squad for a while and then we get characters like the Thinker, Peacemaker that have are coming on to, for the first time and Harley Quinn, Rick Flagg, even Bloodsport are veterans to this team so they're trying to teach the new the new ones of what this team is all about and what happens if they don't comply with the mission so I think other than that that's the as far as it really goes to any kind of linkage at least from the trailer of linking it from the 2016 film to this film but other than that I love the look of this trailer and everything that James Gunn said and his producers and creators said about the fact that it's a James Gunn film set within the 70s kind of war movie it feels exactly like that from the posters that we got in which have looked gorgeous by the way from what James Gunn posted last night to what we got this morning and the character posters it has that kind of candy pop-eyed comic book film infused with this 70s war film that we would have, that we would have gotten back in the day so I, I think all that looks great the highlights to me in terms of the characters that really impressed me killer shark looks awesome and again i think when james gunn is able to utilize that r rating and the fact that this is a red band you see killer shark just go at it eating people ripping people off limbs like just coming off one by one it's just absolutely bonkers and crazy and it seems like margot robbie is having a great time and i think this is a more comic book accurate depiction of harley quinn when it comes to the style i love the fact that her costume her hair is more of like the black and dark red that we got from the batman animated series when she was first introduced so i'm really looking forward to seeing how james gunn translates this character of harley quinn since it's really been in the hands of three different filmmakers at this point and the only one consistency with harley quinn is the fact that margot robbie has been that character for three films now so i'm very much looking forward to seeing what gunn is able to do with with that character and uh, another one that i liked in this trailer but i want to see more of is John Cena's Peacemaker because also the fact that Peacemaker is the first HBO Max spinoff show from the DCU at this point and there's a reason for that they didn't do Bloodsport they didn't do a Harley Quinn which I think you would save that more for the films with someone like Margot Robbie's caliber behind that role or getting a, a Captain Boomerang film or any of these other characters you specifically chose John Cena's Peacemaker to be that character to spin off from this ensemble so I want to see what he brings to the table 
in this film. And for John Cena himself, I mean, say what you want about the costume, and it really is, it's ridiculous, but I think it fits what Gunn wants to do. And and to see kind of Cena kind of riffing with Idris Elba a little bit, talking about uh, a bag of dicks on an island, and 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 if, if he had to eat up all the all the dicks and, and for, for liberty, like you were able to kind of see James Gunn's writing in there as well when it's not kind of hampered by a PG-13 rating. So kind of that banter that you saw from Guardians of the Galaxy with the chemistry between the group, that you see that with this cast of characters on a whole nother level. So I think for the the level of anticipation, the hype that was put on this film, I think the first trailer delivered. I think Warner Brothers definitely has a potential hit on their hands, obviously. When it comes to, again, box office, even in a COVID-less world, if we didn't have a pandemic and this was just going to come out in theaters, I think this would, if it was PG-13, I think this definitely hits, makes a lot of money. But with all ratings, again, you kind of hinder getting that 18 or 17 or and younger crowd from coming to this film. However, we've seen over the years films like Deadpool or Logan make a lot of money if the film is actually good and delivers on that wacky R rating. And I think this film is able to do it. And you saw, obviously, of course, Joker doing it for a comic book movie being rated R and grossing a billion dollars at the box office. So again, you always question with the R rating in terms of just hindering the box office a little bit from its full potential. But I think this will get more people to come out and it won't just be fans of DC, fans of the Suicide Squad, but you'll get fans of James Gunn's films, just period. And people that maybe aren't fans of maybe the MCU, but love James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy and, and the group of characters that he has there wanting to see what he does with the DC characters as well. And we, there's always talk about the the, the, the verses, the, 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 the banter and, and the competition of Marvel versus DC. And James Gunn really is that first director to go from one studio to the other one and then to go back to it when he's going to do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So... I think it just goes to show that for directors, as long as the artistic integrity is there and they have a vision for the movie that they want to do, I think it doesn't really matter. And James Gunn is one of those directors that acts on that bridge. So I'm really excited to see what he brings to this film. And it was a really impressive first trailer. And the only big question that I have moving forward is the fact that we don't really know who Taika Waititi is playing in this movie because his name was involved with this as well. And a lot of people thought that maybe he was doing the mocap for Killer Shark, but now it seems like it's confirmed that at least Sylvester Stallone is kind of going the Bradley Cooper Vin Diesel route where somebody else does the CGI and does the mocap and then they do the the VO, the voiceover, the ADR for that character. But again, I don't know who who in the world Tyke is going to be playing. I know for a fact that Weasel, the, the rat-like creature, is played by Sean Gunn, so we'll see where that goes from there. Maybe Tyke does the VO voiceover for that character but who knows but all 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 around overall i think this was a, a really good trailer love the cast love just the bonkers look of this film just the wild ride that's going to be a part of it and james gunn is always kind of teased and i think for a big ensemble like this 
it makes a lot of sense and I think it adds to the interest and the intrigue in this film of seeing who's going to die in this movie because it seems like no, not everyone is going to make it out of this film alive. You can maybe point, kind of point out a few. Maybe Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn does it just because you know the value of that character and of course the actress playing her and maybe Idris Elba probably makes it out of there alive. John Cena, we don't know about his character. We don't know if Peacemaker is going to be a, a, the, the show, the spinoff is going to be a prequel or a sequel. Is Pete Davidson's character going to make it out of this? Is, is Polka Dot Man going to make it out of this? Is Weasel going to make it out of this? Is Rick Flagg going to make it out of this? Is Thinker going to make it out of this? We, we don't know. So I think the, the, the log line, the tagline that James Gunn has always put forth with this film since DC fandom really has been don't get too attached to these characters. Again, some of them you could probably get attached to, but again, not all of them. And I think that adds to the interest and anticipation for this movie. So overall, guys, what did you think about the Suicide Squad trailer? Did it did it heighten your level of anticipation as a trailer should do? Was it the same as you were looking forward to the film? Or did this trailer bring your level of anticipation down in terms of looking forward to the Suicide Squad? If you were looking forward to it at all, let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about today, or rather not really movie news, but shifting over to television news, is talking about this brand new Lakers Showtime show that is coming out to HBO in the coming year potentially or so. And this was a, this is a show that's been in development for at least I think the last year or two. I remember when Adam McKay was brought on to be one of the executive producers on it, and it's based off of the Jeff Perlman book Showtime: Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. And so it basically talks about that Showtime Laker magic in which that dynasty was kind of the dominant force in the NBA in the 80s, alongside the Boston Celtics and the rivalry they. Had had there and the show is basically going to be a biopic style television show in telling these characters and their stories in which really a lot of those characters like Kareem and Magic are definitely characters that you would rip out of a television show so that's going to be interesting and the one of the writers who is on a press tour right now for Godzilla vs. Kong which that writer was a part of that film as well talks about the the similarities that the show has to another hit Netflix show Front that is the crown in which the crown is a a show that each every two seasons you translate over to a different decade or a different actor or actress that's a, a part of that show and it, it goes through the decades now I don't think the the crown is going to take part in that but in showing decades but it's going to show multiple years throughout this dynasty and maybe we have different actors and actresses portraying these characters and so this is what the writer had to say about comparing that kind of stuff to the crown and the format this show is going to take it's a serious but obviously its limitations are that it's inspired and based on a true story but in a sense structurally it has a resemblance to the crown it's a dynasty story it's the story of an american dynasty and in this case because it's an american dynasty it's not a 
monarchy. It's a story about celebrity and culture and entertainment as seen through the prism of the NBA and the prism of the Showtime Lakers. So our ambition is to tell that story in the time that it takes to tell it well. There's That's not a hard and fast rule on that. We're trying to tell what we see as being a story of this dynasty that really is transformational in the culture at a really important moment that I think is an important story to tell and a really fun story to tell. We're going to give it its due in terms of how long it takes to tell it. And he also, the writer says that they have been so fortunate because of the project we've been working on for a while. We made a pilot before the pandemic that Adam McKay directed. That was a highlight of my life creatively to be able to work with him and this incredible team. It came out really well and everyone at HBO has been so supportive. Based on a couple people's responses to the pilot, this last pandemic year has really been all about writing these scripts and people have been responding to that. We're really fortunate with the cast. It's a dream. It's insane. And when he does talk about the cast, he does have a point about it because the cast lineup for this this show is truly insane. You have Jason Clark, who is a very well-known actor playing the iconic player and general manager executive, Jerry West, who is the logo of the NBA. John C. Riley is playing Jerry Buss. Rob Morgan is playing Magic Johnson. Michael Chilkis is playing Red Arbic. Uh, and you also have Adrian Brody playing Pat Riley. Sally, Sally Field is playing Jesse Buss. And it was announced a few days ago that Bo Burnham, who was just in Promising Young Woman and was the director of 8th grade, is going to be playing oh my god the name blanked on me for a sec but he's going to be playing Larry Bird he's going to be playing the rival to Magic Johnson and that and Larry Bird is a key component to that film so I think for for this show it's going to be really exciting and HBO and Adam McKay have a great track record together obviously Adam McKay is one of the producers on Succession which is a hit runaway show for HBO and once it comes back either at the end of this year or next year for its third season I think people will remember how great of a show it really is so for Adam McKay to be a part of this and it sounds like from the writer that McKay brings a lot of that basketball knowledge the philosophy from that time period I think it's going to be really exciting and whether they're going to recreate a lot of the games and a lot of the dynamics with the team and the organization I think it's going to be really really exciting to see and again not that it's going to be similar to the crown in terms of its story but in terms of the style of telling this story throughout the decades or not decades but throughout the years in the decade within each of the seasons is going to be really interesting and I think adds another part of this ambitious project and I like when television shows take on these kind of ambitious big projects that can come with risks but I think the crown is proving that even though you're switching out actors all the time and they're aging up and introducing new characters almost every single season it's worked to its benefit and you're seeing that come out with the season four really kind of being labeled as the best season to date for that show which I happen to agree with as well and I think that can definitely be said hopefully be said for what we're going to get with this show so I'm really excited for what they have going on with this show it doesn't seem like it's going to be called showtime because with hbo they're also in competition with their other cable network which is showtime which also puts out some really great television shows as well so it'll probably be named something else down the line but this seems like they only have shot the pilot they still have a lot more stuff to shoot so we'll see when this actually comes out we maybe get it 
next year or in 2023 the latest. So we'll see. But I like where the show is going. It had a great week in terms of announcing a lot of the cast like Bo Burnham and and also seeing uh, Michael Chiklis come in and, and be a part of the show as well. I'm very excited to see where this Lakers bio television show goes from here. So I'm very excited to see what else we get. What do you think about the, the this show being kind of compared to the structure of The Crown? Are you excited about this Lakers television show? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on this edition of the San Basel podcast to round out the weekend is to do a little review for this documentary that I watched yesterday on HBO. And it is titled The Day Sports Stood Still, which was produced by Chris Paul and was also produced and directed by the great Antoine Fuqua, who has done films such as Training Day and Southpaw and the Equalizer films. And he, he's just been a part of some really, really great films throughout the throughout the last few years. And to see him kind of take on a documentary is very interesting. And this documentary is basically kind of says it in the title, but it's basically about the day that the sports world stopped between March 11th, March 12th, and those days when the COVID-19 pandemic, especially here in the States really reared its head and became very prominent throughout the world. And it talks about how the NBA shut down and after the NBA shut down, how once a big organization like that shuts down, how everything else kind of falls into place. NHL shut down. The the March Madness tournament was was not happening that year. A lot of the conference tournaments were shutting down. Everything was really shutting down after that point. The movie theaters shut down. Once the NBA canceled or postponed its season, it set in a sequence of events that really kept the earth at a standstill for the for the months to really come. And it, it, it's a really interesting documentary. It's it definitely has multiple different angles that it's trying to come from. And I think that when you watch it and they try to, I think, cover so many different things that as a gloss over, it does a really good job of really just kind of giving you the basic points. But I think it definitely could have been worked on as, as like a mini series, I think, to kind of get more to the meat of the bones of so many different aspects that Antoine Fuqua really wants to bring to this documentary as it begins as this documentary about sports standing still and the effect that it had on athletes. And But then it translates over to the, the, the social justice protests that were happening throughout the summer and how that had an effect on the sports world and how that translated over to the NBA bubble and how that was still a recurring problem and a recurring issue that was percolating throughout the bubble of whether the NBA season would still happen if certain things weren't handled by the NBA. So I think he tries to put in a lot of different instances and as a mini series, as a limited series, maybe having four to six episodes to work on this on this story, I think it would have been a lot more of a benefit than just doing maybe an hour and 40 minute documentary that, again, does a really good job of telling these stories, but doesn't really go in depth about them. But the things that they highlight, I thought were very intriguing, especially in the first half when talking about the pandemic and how these athletes first responded and hearing from Chris Paul, who was really at ground zero of the NBA shutting down when it was announced that Rudy Gobert, who was on the Utah Jazz, tested positive for COVID. The Jazz were set to play OKC on March 11th last year. And that was really the, again, ground zero for everything else that took place after that. So I think it did a really interesting job of, of, of showcasing different athletes from gymnasts like Lori Hernandez talking about the Olympics and 
also having the, the the WNBA and also hockey and how they all really were dealing with all these similar issues at the same time. So I definitely enjoyed it. Again, it's more of a of a bone structure for I think a, a greater story, a, a greater structure that could have been implemented. Again, as a film, it's it's okay, but I think as a miniseries. It could have really, really been something absolutely fantastic and really diving deeper into a lot of these issues and I think kind of just rushing through a lot of them and wanting to hit every single one of them in the hour and 40 minutes that they have in their runtime. But if you're somebody that's a sports fan, if you're looking for a documentary to watch, I do recommend it. I think it does give some interesting insight to, again, the athletes and what they were dealing with in the days that ensued after the NBA postponed and what the sports world was going through. So definitely recommend it. Not again, not the greatest documentary, but something that is interesting. And again, I think if you're wanting to see a point from where we are now to where we were at that time period and, and what this country has really kind of gone through in a, a year plus, I think it is a very, very interesting reflection on what this this country is specifically really and what the world also has been through since COVID really became a, a pandemic and a nightmare for a lot of people in in 2020. So definitely a, a definitely an interesting topic, an interesting story that again I think could have been even greater if it was turned into a, a limited series documentary that was maybe like four to six episodes that really dive deep into a lot of these different issues. And each episode could have focused on the the social justice in May and then how the social Ju- the, 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 the formation of the bubble and how social justice affected the bubble and then how inside the bubble after Jacob Blake in Milwaukee, how that affected the bubble and everything that ensued at from that point onward. So definitely could have been, I think, more episodic than what we got in the film, but overall really did enjoy it. I give it a recommend to check out if you're interested in checking something new out. But with that down, and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Pretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Also, you can check me out on my YouTube page, The Sam Bissell Podcast. I have a lot of great reviews that are on there, including my interview with Sean O'Connell, the author of Release the Snyder Cut, which tells the story of the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement, the story behind the making of Justice League, and how we got to the point of finally getting Zack Snyder's Justice League released on HBO Max, which it is now streaming there, along with the Justice is Grey edition of the Snyder Cut as well. So, once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful weekend, and until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>